he'd squeeze Tigger's nose and he'd dance and he'd, and, and he'd, he'd turn cartwheels. It was great. Yes, he, he, when we had it for Christmas, he, we bought it here. Well done. Thank you, Rachel. But one day, Tigger stopped tumbling. And Jack was upset. So, carefully out of sight so as not to traumatise him. No, no, I took Tigger apart. <laughs> and I found that there was a wire loose on the button. So I soldered it. This was Tigger, like, down to, like, sort of the, the plastic frame. No, no orange and black covering. Took it all down, soldered it back on, fixed it, and Tigger tumbled again, and Jack was happy. And most of you will know that Justine loves baking, and her food mixer gets a lot of use through that. But one day that stopped working. So I took it apart, and I found that one of the wires had come loose. So I looked, there was enough slack to take the end off and fix it back in again, and Kate Cubs was saved for that month. I kept our first washing machine going for years. Uh, somehow the silicate, somehow the, the drum that it all sits in, that had got a hole and it was leaking. So I was like, how can I? Bit of silicon sealant, job done, sorted. That was kept going for a bit longer. And when an items break down, you can repair or you can replace it and get it going again. That's all well and good for household items and consumer products. But people are a bit different, aren't they? Yes, through science these days, you can replace parts through transplants or you can fix prosthetics to, uh, to people without the, 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 that limb. You can correct faults with things like pacemakers. But there's things in the body that can't be repaired or replaced biologically. The job I do during the week is about trying to fix people, or rather, helping them to fix themselves. Now, this isn't medical fixing or anything like that. I'm not medically trained and I'm not medically certified. In probation, <laughs> we work with people to help them change their thinking and their behaviours. Breaking habits, replacing unhealthy thoughts with more positive ones. It may be doing exercises to change how they think. It may be through highlighting problems in their behaviour. You know, I remember talking to, to one guy, and this was when I'd not long started in probation, so I was early 20s. And he was on probation for arguing and hitting his teenage daughter because he found her with contraceptives. Now... If that didn't tell me straight away, after a couple of weeks, it was apparent that this was a very dysfunctional family. In addition to the problems he was having with his daughter, there were also problems with his youngest son's behaviour and language. We discussed about the, the offence. We talked about it. He was upset that his daughter was sexually active. But when we looked into what was going on at home, you know, you he could see why she'd become sexually active at an early age. And yes, hear me right, better for her not to be active at that age. But if she was, then surely it was better for her to use contraception than not. So explaining that to him was like, oh yeah, I, th I think I can see that. And then he was talking about his son's latest outburst of bad language. And I don't know where he gets it from. So I said, well, do you swear at home? Well, yes, I do. Do you swear in front of your son? Well, yeah, I do. 
And you, could, you know in the cartoons when someone has an idea or that moment of revelation and the light will go, ping! You could almost see it happen with this guy. He thought, oh, maybe I need to do something to change him. You know, people can change the way they think and behave. It's not always easy, but it is possible. And you don't have to be on probation to, to change your ways. Self-help sector is massive, isn't it? People buying books, going on courses to, to change. But sometimes, you might have a, going back to consumer goods, something reaches a state where it's beyond repair or it doesn't make any financial sense to repair it any longer. The saying is, to fix it would be throwing good money after bad. You know, with our washing machine, I kept it going for so long, but eventually something happened, and to buy the part and to take the time to fix it just wasn't worth it anymore. With possessions, they can reach the end of their, their life. Now, this is a member of staff at work. He reuses carrier bags. And you might think, well, that's, that's sensible. That's, that's good. That's uh, five pence a go now. That's good economic sense. I should clarify, he doesn't reuse carrier bags, plural. He reuses a carrier bag, singular. And when it develops a hole, he'll spend time with his sellotape fixing it. This is true. And it's now more sellotape than bag, to be honest. <laughs> Why? Next time he goes on leave, I think we're going to have a whip around and present him with a year's supply. Well, probably a lifetime supply of carrier bags, the way he uses them. Sometimes that you have to think, you know, it's just not worth fixing this now. But how do you do that with people? Can you do that with people? We said people can change. But sometimes it would seem that people can't, however determined they might be, however many courses have attended, it, you think, how can that change? It's been in the press this week, hasn't it, about, tragically, a young father from Wolverhampton charged with murdering his son, who died around six weeks old after suffering violent abuse. Nationally, there's reported two teenage girls charged with kidnapping a toddler in Newcastle, again, planning to commit horrific uh, offences. Um, just saw today two teenagers, I think, again in the northeast, charged with, with murder. And you think, do these people reach a point where they can't be repaired? Or is there a fault that is beyond the ability or control of man to do anything about? Well... Let's see what the Bible's got to say about it. Psalm 51 is one of the few psalms where we're given some historical background. And the start of it says, A psalm of David, where prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It identifies clearly for us the incident and where the psalm came from. Now, we, I'm guessing most people know the story well. David, he gets involved with a double sin of adultery and murder whilst king. That's getting things wrong and messing up big style. 
Because he'd walked with God for many years. He'd been known as a prophet, a man who understood deep things. And he'd been known as a spiritual leader amongst people. But then he gets involved with this terrible sin. But then he records it for himself. And what that must have been pretty humiliating, ain't it? You see people who have to apologize for the press and uh, in the press for stories that come out and things that happen. But the story was that he was on his roof one day and he saw a beautiful woman bathing and passions were aroused and he called for her to, to be brought to him. Her husband was away fighting in the army and uh, he probably thought, I got away with that. But she was expecting a child. And he tried to panic. Well, he panicked. He tried to cough up his actions. He called the husband back from the fighting, hoping that they would get together and the child would be thought to come from that union. But the, fa but the, the father, Uriah, the soldier, decided that he was going to stay with his, sol with his soldiers instead and not stay with his wife. David, knowing that he's going to be caught out, goes that step further. That's what sin does, doesn't it? It causes us to go deeper and deeper and into more of a cycle. And he ordered the husband to be put at the front of the battle, where he'd almost certainly be killed and was. David thought he got away with it, but it kept nagging away. And the guilt probably became um, almost unbearable. And that's when God sent the prophet Nathan to come and speak to, to David. Because although David had messed up big style, God hadn't lost hope in him. God hadn't given up and turned his back. He loved him. And he wanted David back. So when David was confronted, he acknowledged the sin and he fell on his face before God. And out of that, we read in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So when things seemed too bad for anything to do anything about, he turned to God. And the change started. And notice that the change begins in the heart. David didn't ask to change the way that he behaved. He said, create in me a new heart, not replace it. Not Sorry, replace it, not repair it. You know, we, it's important how we behave, but everything that we do starts with the heart and the motive behind it. We can go through all the right motions, but without the heart being right, things just don't fall into place. That's why on the servant of the mount, Jesus said, I don't want you to sit back and be proud just because you haven't murdered. I want to know what's in your heart. I don't want to think you're somebody special because you haven't committed adultery. What's going on in your heart? For David says, even if I never commit adultery or <coughs> murder or adultery again in my entire life, there's still something here that's a problem. So God, I want you to cleanse my heart. I want you to cleanse the things 
I think about, my priorities, my desire is to serve you. That's it. That's all that I want. You know, in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the change in our lives, which ought to take place when we become Christians. I think most people here are probably Christians this evening. When we become Christians, it's said, isn't it, about putting, up the, uh, putting off the old self and putting on the new. But living as that new person involves things as not lying, not stealing, old habits that we have to break. But that's how we ought to act as Christians. And the reason you ought to act this way is because you are taught to be made new in heart. Because that's where the change starts. But how does this change happen? Well, David didn't say, I've created a clean heart, did he? He said, creating me a clean heart, O God. He can't do it himself. He doesn't even attempt to. And when he says that, creating me a clean heart, he goes back to the language used in Genesis for the creation of the world. Because the word create there is the same in Hebrew as what's used in Genesis. And it's a word that's only ever used of God in the Bible. It means to create something out of nothing. As humans, we can be good, can't we, at fashioning things and arranging things and remodeling things. And science has come on massively. But... Can man create something out of absolutely nothing? You can't bring into something into being that's never existed before. There's a story about a group of scientists who one day, very pleased with themselves, decided that man had come far enough and no longer needed God. So they said, they picked one, I don't know how they picked one, but they picked one to say, go and tell God we don't need him anymore. So he walked up and said, God, we've decided you're no longer needed. We're at the point where we can clone people. We can do miraculous things. So you can go and take a break. God, being very patient and kind, said, okay. But how about this? Let's, let's have a test. We'll have a man-making contest. I'll make man, you can make man. So the scientist said, Okay, that's fine, no problem with that. God said, but we're going to do it how I did it back in the old day with Adam. And scientists said, sure, no problem. And he bent down and got a handful of dust and dirt. And God said, whoa, whoa, no, no. You create your own dirt, all right? Only God has got the power to speak in, in, and create things in this world, bring this world into existence. Only God can do that. So it's not surprising that when David wants a clean heart, he says, God, I need you to do it. I don't have the power. Solomon said, who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from sin. None of us can say that, can we? None of us here tonight can say that. Only God has got that ability to take a heart and purify it and cleanse it. People try to hide their guilt in lots of ways. Do good works. If I do enough good, it will tip the balance and we'll be all right. But good deeds don't get rid of guilt. On Rosh Hashanah, that's the Jewish New Year, 
it's customary for the Jews to go to the ocean, pray, and throw bread onto the water so that the fish can symbolically eat the sins. But, you know, that doesn't take away the real sin, does it? Only what God's done, done through us to send in Jesus to die for us can take away the sin and the guilt and the shame. And thirdly, we've got to have that attitude to allow God to change our heart. He's the only one that can do. But, you know, we might just sit there and think, well, God's the only one that can do it, so I'll just sit back here and wait for it to happen. We've got to have the right attitude for him to do it. Notice that in preparing himself for a clean heart, when he asked God, David was contrite. In verse 17 of, of Psalm 51, it says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. If we're contrite, then we're truly aware of our spiritual condition. It means that our inner self is crushed. We're not feeling bad or remorseful about sin. It means that we've just defeated. There was once a man who wrote a letter to the tax office saying, I've not been sleeping well. I fiddled my forms last year. And they're underreporting my income. I'm sending you a cheque for £150. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> That's not contrition. That's not having a contract. Huh? You see, we can have a tendency to rationalise or explain, or excuse, or defend, or justify sin. A contrite heart doesn't seek to blame circumstance, or other people, or God for failure. You know, David didn't blame God for Bathsheba. Well, Lord, if you hadn't made me king, I wouldn't have been up in my room. And Lord, did you have to make her so attractive? But we hear that sometimes, don't we? Well, I did it because... I had he's got his earphones in now. I had a conversation with Jack, and he's like, oh, I did it because these kids are getting them. I was like, no, they're not here now. It's not their fault. You make a choice whether you do it or not. So if we ever hope to have a clean heart, if we ask him for that, then there must be contrition. And there was also confession. Verses 3 and 4 in 51 say, for, you, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And there's two sides to this confession. First of all, he confessed to himself. He says, I realize that I've sinned. I can't deny or escape it. And then he confessed his sin to God. Against you, you only, have I sinned. And with that admission of guilt is a confession of God's justice. Because God will judge and he's right to judge for the sin. And he makes no plea for lenience, does David. He doesn't claim that God's too hard on him. He doesn't appeal for a light sentence. He says, I'm wrong, and you're right. Solomon said, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. In Psalm 51, there's a full and frank acknowledgement of sin. David says, I know my sins. 
I'm not trying to cover them up. They're always before me. This guy who committed adultery and murder. I'm guilty. conclusion tonight this this talk was kind of inspired by the guy with the sellotape in the back because he just thought no sometimes you just gotta you can't do anything with it you've just got to give it up yeah you need something new and I was as I was working on this I was like I've, I've spoken on Psalm 51 before I'm sure I have and this morning I felt there was a, a bit of a confirmation. Uh, well, I, I, I'd spoken on it before. And I was like, well, I've spoken on this before, and it's, it's not been 12 months yet. I think he only knows a couple of verses in the Bible. But then this morning, John said about how in worship, he'd been challenged about the condition of his heart. And I was like, oh, thanks, Lord. Thank you for that confirmation in terms of this tonight. And I think there's something for me in this and I believe there's something for all of us in this as well you know we're it says in the Bible doesn't it about you can't put new wi new wine in old wineskins because it doesn't work it stretches them it expands them too much and they'll just burst in the room and I think perhaps God's calling us at Junction 10 that we need to get our hearts right what is coming to us because where wherever we are individually and as a church if we don't get our hearts right and ask him to create something new in us we're not going to cope with what he's going to give it's going to be too much for us so as a, as a church we need to be ready to receive the new wine there was a story about the owner of a rolls royce uh, who decided to take his car across Europe and he was traveling through France and he experienced some mechanical problems and he didn't speak French but he thought I'll call the Rolls-Royce factory and they sent out a mechanic they flew a mechanic out with his tools they fixed the car and then he went on his way well he got back from his trip and he thought oh, I've not received anything from Rolls-Royce I've not received a bill and so he contacted them and they said, sorry, sir, we've got no, no details of this trip made whatsoever. There's nothing to pay. And that's how God treats us when he forgives us sin, doesn't it? We can be broken down, stuck in the middle of nowhere, metaphorically. And we call out for help and God comes and fixes it and there's no bill to pay. There's no charge. It's already been paid. A couple of well-known verses to, to finish. Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I think if we can just bow our heads now, please.
I said there, one of what sparked the, the thought process for this tonight was just um, the daftness of, of the guys celebrating his bag together and the, the thought that, you know what, sometimes you just gotta, you've just got to give it up. You can't do it yourself. You need something new. And you may have been a Christian for years and, and years. So was David. You may not have committed a crime as, uh, as terrible as adultery or murder or, or sin a, a, in that way. But on the Servant of the Mount, Jesus said, don't boast because you haven't done this. What's in your heart? And maybe tonight it's time for, for us to respond to that and say, yes, Lord, create in me a clean heart. So if we, if we can just keep our heads bowed, I'm going to look up in a second. If there's anybody that, yeah, you're thinking, you know what, that's striking a chord. I'm going to look, just pop your hand up uh, and, uh, and we'll pray. I'm just looking up now, if there's anybody that has that. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to assume that, there's, that everybody here does know Jesus tonight. If you don't know Jesus as your friend and the one who can turn things around and create things anew, if you want to pop your hand up, then now's the opportunity to do that. Lord, we, we thank you that through you we can have this new start. And Lord, we may have been following you for years, but something's not quite right. And Lord, we've, we may have made efforts to try and correct it ourselves, but we need to come to that point of realisation where we can only keep coming back to you say creating me that clean heart lord for for those who've indicated tonight that yes this has struck a chord and they they want you to come and create that clean heart in them i just pray that they'll they'll just know this week uh, as they spend time uh, with you that you've taken away that whatever it is that's been weighing them down whether it's guilt or whether it's fear or, or whatever it is lord that you've taken that away Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. That, Lord, however far we are from you, that you will find us and you want us back. Lord, we thank you for David. Thank you that he realizes uh, his state and he turned back to you. And, Lord, let us realize when 
the holes in the bag are just too big for the sellotape. And it's time to just throw it away and ask you for something new. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're going to sing our final song. We're going to take our offering while we do. If you're a visitor this evening, please don't feel obliged to put anything uh, in the bag that comes past you.